Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, brought to you by Women in Data. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence, and it's my pleasure to be your host for these weekly interviews where we share inspiring stories, thought leaderships, and discussions to help you excel in your data career. At Women in Data, our mission is to increase diversity in data careers, and we do this through awareness, education, and empowerment. Today's guest is Dipti Bokar, Vice President and General Manager of SaaS and Azure Databases at Microsoft. Prior to joining Microsoft, Dipti was the founder and creator of Ahana, a cloud-managed service. Dipti has vast experience working in startups such as Couchbase and MarkLogic, and began her career working as a software engineer for IBM. In today's episode, Dipti shares how databases have evolved over the past 15 years, her predictions for the future of technology, and she provides actionable advice for those looking to start a career in technology. Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, Dipti. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So I know we have a lot of ground we want to cover in the pod. Um, you have amazing experience. And so there's so many things we want to talk about from your work experience with startups and founding your company and 15 years in database design. But I think it'd be best just coming from you first, you know, What's your story and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, um, well, first off, again, thank you for having me. Uh, it's fantastic to be here on your podcast um, and to support such an important community, right? Um, you know, having grown up in this, this space, in the data space for the past 18 years, from uh, being an engineer to an executive and a founder, I've uh, kind of firsthand witnessed uh, how few women there are, and particularly in the infrastructure space, the big data space, the open source space, and and even fewer leaders, right at the top of the uh, the top of the pyramid, and uh, uh, and it's unfortunately a leaky bucket. So anything we can do is is helpful. Uh, it's just not enough. Uh, and I'm personally incredibly passionate about this as well. So um, uh, very happy to be here. Uh, I'll start off, um, you know, currently at the moment, I'm a, a vice president and general manager at Microsoft, incredible company uh, to work for and um, uh, in the Azure data space. So uh, staying true to my initials, which are DB and uh, databases. Uh, but let me start off uh, by, uh, you know, from from the beginnings in some ways. Um uh, I uh, it, it started actually by disappointing my parents. Uh, my parents are both doctors. So uh, my dad is a surgeon. My, my mom is a neuroanesthesiologist. And uh, uh, we're two sisters and we both turned out to be engineers. <laughs> and I was the second one and the, all hope was, you know, on me. But uh, it took me a few years to get to the point where it's like, I, I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> um, but I started off my data and my tech career in the database lab at UC San Diego and just getting the fundamentals of um, databases there in the grad school. And then I started off as an engineer, engineer in, uh, at IBM, Fortune 50 company, uh, in the core kernel, core database kernel. And that's where I kind of got, got my database concepts. Um, uh, later, was a very young manager, uh, manager overtime manager, large data warehousing team uh, globally across uh, Beijing and Bangalore and the U.S. Um, and um, in some ways, um, 
I was seeing that the relational market was turning and there were new kind of databases that were emerging, uh, XML databases, JSON databases, and the NoSQL movement was kind of starting off. And so, you know, in some ways you have to transform yourself and learn new technologies. And so I moved to NoSQL um, and I spent many years at Couchbase. It was very, fairly early there, number 25 uh, grew out uh, the company to 400 people across many different roles, uh, product as a product leader, as a solutions engineering leader, and um, uh, just uh, phenomenal to see kind of uh, how I grew and, and the entire kind of market segment grew. And then from there, I, I saw another kind of a switch happening uh, in the analytics side and uh, with the disaggregation of the storage and compute uh, happening. Now, Hadoop was kind of, uh, you know, moving in parallel to NoSQL, but I've, I kind of stayed away from it intentionally because it was a bit too complicated for, for uh, platform teams to uh, try it out. There were way too many com components. And, um, uh, and so I, um, uh, I, I stuck with the NoSQL movement um, and then I moved to another couple of startups um, after that and uh, got to know, uh, started to work with the community a lot more. So Couchbase was open source uh, and uh, Aluxia was open source. And through this, I started working with Met Facebook, now Meta uh, and Uber and the Presto and Spark communities. And that's when I noticed um, a gap in the market for a SaaS solution or you know, a much more simple solution for SQL on data lakes and S3 uh, in particular at that point. And so built, um, uh, founded Ahana and created Ahana Cloud uh, to uh, create a really simple experience for SQL on data lakes. Um, and uh, uh, did that for three years, raised uh, with Google Ventures, uh, built out the team around it. And um, uh, a few you know, you know, personal things actually um, uh, got me to make a hard decision and uh, 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 let that go. But hey, here I am at Microsoft, um, uh, just finished uh, you know, 90 days and I'm super excited. Um, it is an in, incredible culture and a super innovative company, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Well, we are so excited to have you. Thank you for sharing your story because there's a couple of things that really stand out to me. One, you seem to have like this amazing intuition of you know which technology to go after and which one not to, because there's so many new ones that are always coming out. It can be mm -hmm. easy to, I I I call it like pick your wave, but know your ocean, right? Like we're in an ocean and there's new waves coming. Which way are, wave are you going to get on and surf? And you've had this incredible ability to pick the right wave and ride that. <laughs> and then this courage and it feels to me like intuition of like, hey, I know this is right and this is my truth and I'm going to go after it. Whether that's from the early days of, as you say, disappointing your parents and becoming <laughs> an engineer, right? So... I think a lot of us really look up to that and admire one, that intuition, that courage to follow that intuition. Do you have any secrets or tips for people like how do we foster that intuition and courage within ourselves and go after those things that we really want and believe in? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, I've in early on in my career uh, and I think, 
you know, as people are going through their early careers, even today, you're still figuring a lot of things out, right? You don't know uh, what you know, don't know. Uh, you are in explore mode. Uh, it's a new world, right? There's so much noise. And how do you capture the signal from the noise, right? And and it takes time and it, it takes um, uh, effort and the curiosity to um, to to really be able to do that and then apply your strengths um, once you've found out what the strongest signals are and see if you will be a fit or is that interesting to you and then make a decision about, you know, whether it is something that you want to embark on. Um, and, uh, you know, there's three things that I, um, uh, I feel now that I think back uh, helped me through it. And, and some of these you know, uh, came naturally to me. Some of these people pushed me and, and my mentors pushed me uh, towards as well. Um, I, I would say, you know, be just be diligent about your own space and know it really well. Uh, the second thing is curiosity. Um, you know, there's, there's once you know your space well, try to understand the ecosystem around it. What are the re- relevant technologies around it? If it's in app development, what are the 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 next generation of technologies coming up there? Right, Web three is is uh, coming up, and so you might want to read up on it and not jump into it right you know right away, but at least be aware of it. And so if you see a lot more signals you can be confident that that might be something you you look into more seriously or invest in from a career perspective right uh if you look at the uh the data side there's the the uh the the saas and the api based backends that are you know uh, the the way that apps are being developed is completely different so that might be an area data lakes data mesh right that's another big area and so just being aware of these and attending meetups or reading up uh papers and uh you know that is very very important so curiosity is super important and then the third thing is um you know i try to push myself because when i'm not challenged i get bored <laughs> and i don't feel that i'm i don't stay very motivated and so for me it is very important that i'm constantly challenging myself whether it is a new function that i want to start building on and a new muscle that i want to build for myself or whether it is a new space or a new area that they want to learn about, right? And uh, and uh, figure out. So either way, sometimes it can be a lateral move. Sometimes it's an upward move. And um, it, it is something that where if you get too comfortable, push yourself out of your comfort zone and um, and and try something different. It might start off by saying, you know, hey, can I spend twenty percent of time on this other project? Um, or, um, you know, can I be a, a part of this other project that they need help on and um, uh, so that I just learn a new skill? And it might start off with something as simple as that, and it might lead to a lateral move or an upward move, right? And so those are the three things that I would, you know, encourage people to think about very intentionally as they go through their careers, uh, especially early on. Those are great tips. So if I summarize, it really sounds like one, get out there and read new things, try new things, right? Expand your awareness of what's going on in the industry. Then whatever sticks and resonates with you, right? Continue to get curious about it. Love all of your tips in terms of how curiosity is essential and evaluate that against the different signals that you have in the environment. 
I think those are really actionable items that we can all take and start to implement. So given your work in databases for over the past 15 years, for those who are new into the industry, can you talk a little bit about what has remained the same and what has changed? Like if you're getting into the field today, what is like tried and true that you were like, hey, I've seen it over 15 years. These are principles that have remained the same and I will learn these principles. And here's some of the noise that I probably wouldn't pay attention to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a uh, great question, right? Um, and uh, uh, as I've uh, as I thought about this question, and you know, I, I said there's there's two parts to it. One is the technology itself, right? The core uh, tech, the core infra, and a lot of things have stayed the same. It's quite incredible that when I look back over uh, 15 to 18 years, and as I've built different products and different systems, some of the core concepts like performance in in databases. Uh, systems is king, right? Super important. Uh, caching, scaling, uh, indexing concepts, a lot of these things, um, the core concepts of systems haven't really evolved, right? What's changed is the environment that they're applied to. So we used to have these monoliths, these mainframes, which have been around and are still around, right? And we, they will be around for, for a while. Um, and, uh, uh, but but today with the cloud, uh, you know, a lot of things have changed, right? So uh, the on the technology side, I would say the environment and the uh, the arrival and the explosion of the cloud, right, uh, has, has dramatically changed how these core concepts are applied uh, across this, this space. Um, on the operational database side of things, so think app building, you know, developers are building mobile web apps. Um, they still need databases. They still need, um, uh, you know, really critical systems underneath. However, the way that these, these uh, they're building these, the ease of use that they expect, the API-based backends uh, are really different now, right? And that's what the expectations are. And there'll be a lot more evolution in this space. On the analytical side, it's it's uh, the great disaggregation, right? Like storage and compute have been separated. Uh, I call it the the deconstructed database. Like every piece of the database has kind of been pulled aside, and uh, uh, and there's many kinds of computes that can now be applied in a single data lake layer or single storage layer, and that has has changed a lot of things. Uh, we still apply the same concepts though, in even in a data lake uh, environment where you want uh, you want caching for better performance. You might want indexing for lower latencies for queries, and so. Uh, the, the the teams and the products that have been most successful are the ones who can take these core concepts and apply them in these new areas. The second big area, so technology is one. Second area is product, right? And how people use products and their expectations of these products have evolved. Because, you know, it used to be a very small team that was responsible for the database or working with data. Now every company is a data company, right? 
every every person, every whether you're a marketer, you're a product manager, you're a data analyst, you're a data scientist, you're expected and required to work with data. And that means that as a, a, a product leader or a product manager, you want to build products that work for a range of personas and that, uh, that are really easy to work. So product market fit is really important. And while the concept of product market fit hasn't changed, like you still need that early on and you need it to be repeatable, you also, the what's changed is the ease of use and the expectations, right? Uh, quick to start, right? Uh, no one has time, right? We're in this generation <laughs> where it's like, you know, um, the expectations are immediate, right? You want the database immediately available. You want, whether it's a lake or a engine or, you know, the, it's uh, that aspect of it is very important. So those are the two things is, you know, technology has evolved uh, and then the product and uh, how you, you know, like being product led, you know, product led growth has become kind of the mantra, if you will, uh, for uh, adopt greater adoption for products, right? Uh, and so, yeah, th those are some of the things that I've seen over the, the past 15 years and, you know, what's changed. So we look now a little bit more into the future, right? Where I love what you said that every company is a data company now, right? And so I think that is really going to change how we think about databases and I love what you mentioned of we need to be considering the users. It's so much more than just now your data engineering team or your data science team. It's the whole business right. and the whole business team. So if we're looking into the future, you know, five, 10 years, are we still using the cloud? If you have your crystal ball, like, is there more decoupling involved? Are we deconstructing the database more? What do you project is like where we're going with databases in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, who knows if I'm uh, right or not, and who knows who has the right answer, right? But I think that you know you can extrapolate from from the past, and you can you can look back at what's worked, and and you see patterns, right? You see like uh, you know it, um, you know technology doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes, right? And so looking back, um, uh, I think that. Uh, a lot of these systems have continued to move up the stack, right? So they've, as I was saying, simplicity, ease of use, and really just SASification is becoming a, a major, major aspect of technology. Um, in fact, I think application developers, uh, you know, 10 years from now would be like, you know, what is a database, right? Um, uh, that will be progress because then you've made it so easy and so transparent that they're just talking in terms of uh, APIs and uh, and their concepts within the application, not in terms of, oh, do I need an index here? Do I, you know, this query plan looks kind of different from what it used to be. You don't need to know that. The system needs to be able to figure that out for you. And that's where machine learning and databases and data systems will really uh come together where there is a zero DBA uh, experience, right? And uh, and it is very hard to get there. There's a lot of innovation that will happen. A lot of uh, papers, uh, you know, academic papers will, will need to be written to get us there. But that really will be progress where uh, low code is, can create applications, 
everyone can become an application developer and databases underneath uh, are just hidden under a beautiful layer of machine learning and APIs uh, where uh, automation is is driving the system, right? Uh, and so it's it becomes system-driven and not user-driven. The user doesn't need to manage a thousand knobs uh, or figure out, uh, you know, what went wrong, it fixes itself, right? And um, I think this is kind of a 10-year uh, piece of work. <laughs> like it's, it is that much work that it's going to take to get there. Uh, but we have to get started now. And there's a lot of great research already, uh, exciting stuff that's coming out of um, a variety of uh, different uh, companies. Microsoft uh, just published a paper at VLDB along these lines as well. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating space. Uh, it's a great way to... Uh, do more, right? Get the users to be able to do more, innovate more, uh, build more, uh, spend less time on systems and let allow businesses to spend more time on their core capabilities, right? Is it finance? If it's healthcare, if it's, um, if it's media and entertainment, they can spend more time on innovating in that space. So yeah, that's where, you know, if, if, if uh, you know, databases are uh, kind of disappear underneath, that would be progress. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love that. And I, I think you're spot on. I mean, here we're speculating about the future, right? So nothing is a guarantee. But if we look, the best way to predict the future is to look at history. And if we look at history, we've continually built on top of technology and it's gotten easier and easier, right? So I love the idea of that we won't even be considering the databases. We'll just be <laughs> using the APIs and connecting the building blocks. And I think the more we can focus on the business side, as you mentioned, I'm excited to see what people create from this world when we enable them with the right tools and technology. So given that, would you recommend, you know, if we're going, if we're moving into this like low code, no code environment, you know, do you recommend people today still learn to code? And if they're interested in building this architecture, what advice do you have for them in terms of starting their career today? Yeah, um, yeah. I thought about this question actually quite a bit because um, you know it's it's quite interesting. Like computer science is obviously very, very um, still a very um, uh, hard uh, you know major, right? A lot of people going into it. Data science is increasingly becoming one of those as well. And so the question becomes, you know, where do where do you start, right? As someone getting into um, uh, college today, or even, um, you know, starting off their journeys, where should they start? I think it depends uh, a little bit on interest as well. Um, I would say that if uh, someone is more um, technically inclined, and they like um, uh, to understand some of these core concepts, the fundamentals and the fundamentals of computer science and systems are still incredibly important. Uh, and there's still a lot of innovation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the investments kind of going into the space. There's still a lot of innovation to be done there. So once you start with the core and you have those concepts, you can then apply them in new ways and, and different ways. So that's, that's still a great start. On the other hand, uh, I think that if uh, you're not as inclined, right, uh, to some of the core infra, uh, and because it can be quite a little bit more intimidating or as scary, data-driven um, analysis, right, is required everywhere. And so math, statistics, um, and uh, leveraging technologies 
um, like uh, you know Python and and Spark and machine learning models and so on uh, is another fantastic area to to start off with. These are two different paths, and sometimes they converge, and I've kind of crisscrossed even, um, but. Uh, it, that those are the two I would say you know core paths that um, uh, that I think would be great starts today. Um, you you know not uh, ha- you know while there might be a lot of low code um, uh, work that is more driven towards um, marketers and 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 product managers that may not be technical. So if you want to be you know in the in the space building products that are uh, the, what marketers or product managers work on, then these would be the two areas. I also think that there is a lot of opportunity for uh, these other um, uh, kind of areas of, for you know marketing, sales, uh, product managers to get more uh, experience in the space of data, right? So they mm-hmm. can be more um, uh, data-driven as well and can stand out in their professions. So uh, I, w- I highly recommend... Um, uh, especially growth marketers uh, or uh, sales ops, uh, revenue op- ops uh, folks to maybe take even a, a small class in uh, data anal- uh, analysis or statistics so that they understand how the, the data-driven decisions are made uh, and can make their story and their uh, analysis a lot more concrete, right? And giving them more confidence and giving them the ability to stand out from the rest. I think that's great advice. And that leans more on like the technical side of things, right? Of where do you focus your time and energy from the technical side? But something that doesn't get talked about as much is what about from an industry side or from a company type, right? So you have had the pleasure of working for not only startups, but Fortune 500 companies and even founded your own company. And so how do you decide like, what flavor of a company right, is the right flavor yeah. for you? And is yeah. there one that you recommend to get started early on in your career and use that experience and later on to transition? What's worked well for you and what advice do you have for individuals in this area? Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I often, you know, hindsight 2020, right? And, you know, I, I look back sometimes and, um, uh, you know, I've always learned from every experience, but then, you know, wonder, oh, if I had stayed there only, you know, a couple of years before moving or, you know, have I done this differently? What, you know, how would things change? And uh, I, I think that uh, some of these, you know, w- one of the things for sure I would say is whether you start off, you could start off obviously with, you know, the FANG or, you know, there's all new terms that come out every day to represent, <laughs> you know, these these larger companies, uh, MAGA, right? There's a lot of other different uh, terminologies these days. But the uh, I, I would say that um, if you start off at, the, at big tech, right, um, stay there for a couple of years, uh, then apply my principle of don't get too comfortable <laughs> and join a startup. I have learned more over these five startups and I've, you know, they've grown in size. They've been, you know, zero to one, 25 to 400, right? Different, different sizes. 
join an early stage startup uh even if even if it doesn't go anywhere you will learn more in those couple of years than you will in maybe 5 or 10 at a larger company uh you know it's i call it the the time compression machine right because <laughs> you 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 are doing and not you know yes you might work a little hard and you know when you're young you should work hard and you should get those experiences uh but you really will learn 3 years in one right and there isn't you can't compress time otherwise and so try it out uh yes it is it is risky right but when you're young you don't have those may not have those responsibilities it's much harder to do it later on in life mm-hmm. right and so you know when if the advice i would give to my younger self you know i stayed too too long at a, a larger company 5 year 5 6 years was too much i should have you know quit to in 2 years and started at a startup right and so um i i certainly would recommend and then you can move back right you can once you have a good brand on your resume you always have great opportunities um to to move to different places you know if something doesn't work but you will always learn from them and uh and and so take that risk join a uh vet the company a little bit you know do your research of course um but you know you've got to be in that time compression machine at least once or twice and um uh, and and you will get a lot of lot more confidence uh learn a lot of soft skills apply do things that you know you you've never done before um i will tell i i you know here's a great great story i um my my first um my son was born he was my first kid uh, we uh, it was at uh, at uh, uh, couchbase and um, uh, three months in uh, you know the the ceo asked hey you know we have some we have an op- opportunity to um, for you to um, you know try out a new role and you've been uh, awesome on the product management side you've built out that team but we really need someone technical in the field side and you go around worldwide pre sales and solutions engineering i said well i've never done that before he says Yeah, you know, this is an opportunity like, you know, it's it's available for you. I think you'd be great at it, but it's your call, right? And, you know, I was, you know, like, you know, I have a little kid, right? Uh this, you know, do I really want to do this? And my husband, uh, you know, I must say supported me, pushed me to take that role, and um that was one of the the best roles that I that I've ever been in. And I grew out the team from 12 people to 50 people in the matter of 18 months. traveled worldwide learned from uh, customers talked with ctos ceos cdos and uh just you know it was a phenomenal experience and so sometimes you know do things that you might and i'd never run you know pre sales before but you learn and and you grow and those are some of the best experiences um where you know within the same company or within you know you get a chance to move laterally and try out different things um take those on right those those are really valuable and give you a much stronger different perspective in your core competency yeah i think that is great advice i know i love i'm going to steal your term um time compression machine right and i think that's so important <laughs> cuz where else are you going to be able to compress time in that facet and then why not do it while you're young when you have maybe when you don't have a family yet and it's easier to take some of those risks so be that trailblazer additionally you've been a trailblazer by being a times the only woman in the room and so how did you find your voice to speak up and still take those risks and lead the way 
when you may be the only woman in the room? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a question that I think, um, uh, many of my mentees have asked me, right. And, um, uh, I'll say that, uh, you know, over the last several years, right? I mean, uh, I know who I am. I know what my, you know, I uh, my strengths are. And uh, uh, but it took a long time for me to get to this place. So, you know, if people think that this comes naturally and you're just born with with some of this confidence. Uh, not necessarily, right? Um, you know, as a, as a kid, I was an uh, you know extrovert and I did really well, but. Uh, right after, you know, in college and, if, you know, everyone has their uh, harder times, right? And uh, I, w- I, w- I went into this shell and it took me a-, a while to find my confidence, find my voice and find my place on the table. And um, and each each woman will have their own journeys. Sometimes it'll, it-, it will take longer and sometimes it might, uh, you might find it sooner, right? But that's the, I, I think that's the important thing. Persevere, be confident in your space, right? If you know your space, if you understand uh, whatever that might be, right? Um, uh, the area that you're in, um, it earn credibility. Once you've earned credibility, along with that will come the, that confidence to get a seat at the table and, uh, and, and you know, put your opinions and ideas out there, right? Um, but it's important to not stand in the corner of the room. Even if it's uncomfortable, pull a chair, be, find a seat at the table. That's the first step. Once you find the seat at the table, uh, whatever the context might be, right? It could be a roundtable, it could be a product discussion, it could be a design discussion. Start to practice throwing out ideas and seeing reactions. Depending on, you know, uh, your personality, it might come easy or it might come might be hard, but don't give up, right? And um, ta- I would say uh, finding mentors who work with you or who even role play, um, is very important in this process, right? So um, it's it's very common. I mean, I've lost the number, you know, count and the number of times I'm the only woman in the room. I, I, I my joke is, you know, usually I'm only the only uh, woman in the room. Not just that, I'm uh, sometimes the only colored person in the room and the shortest person in the room, but with the loudest voice. And so it takes care of everything else. <laughs> and so find your voice and. Um, uh, you know, be confident in your space and that will help you to project uh, that voice that you have. That's beautiful advice. And it really ties it all up together because, you know, you started by saying, hey, take those risks, right? Get out of your comfort zone and then wrap it up by saying, just bring your own chair to the table, make your own table if you need to, right? Get out of that comfort zone. And whether you tick all the boxes of only woman, only person of color, shortest person, you still always have your voice. And that's what you need is to have that loud voice. So thank you for having your voice and sharing your voice with us today and and sharing all your experience and, and wisdom with us. It's been a fun conversation. If you're ready, I'd love to have a little bit more fun and do a few rapid fire questions. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? 
<laughs> so current favorite is thanks to my six-year-old daughter uh, who uh, I keep, you know, trailblazing for. Her favorite song is This Girl Is On Fire, Alicia Keys. And so that, that has been on repeat of late <laughs> on Spotify. I love it. You're the second guest I've had recently. This must be a theme for women right now is This Girl's On Fire. And I love that song. So. <laughs> favorite place you've traveled? Um, I would say Machu Picchu, Peru, um, fantastic country. And, uh, we've, uh, this was pre kids and I've had a great, <laughs> but, uh, uh, just amazing location and, and place. Yeah. Happiness is. Happiness is, um, being satisfied, um, and, uh, being with people, uh, you genuinely enjoy being with and you love and, uh, um, and, and happiness and, and, and that all of that, that falls into the, the happiness bucket. <laughs> In the next five years, I hope to. Um, now this is an ambitious one. Um, hope to build a billion dollar business. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gone to the hundreds of millions, but I haven't gone to the billions and that's my own personal goal. I love it. I think we need more female founders who have reached the unicorn status. So I will be cheering you on in that endeavor. And the last question to me, curiosity is. Curiosity is, um, always asking questions, always asking questions, wherever you are and always learning. Right. I would say those two go hand in hand. Very important um, to um, from a, whether it's a personal perspective or a professional perspective, those um, that's that's what that means to me. Beautiful. Well, that's a great way to wrap up our episode today. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Any last final thoughts you'd love to share with our audience? Well, um, you know, first thing, thank you again for having me here. Um, I'd say, uh, you know, for for all those women leaders, uh, keep at it. You know, there's there's a lot of people following you and looking looking at you, and so um, you know, keep keep up the good work. Uh, and then, um, you know, women who are just starting their journeys, uh, you know, be confident, uh, feel energized. It's it's a great time to be in data. And there's a lot of us cheering you on. So, you know, you have a lot, a lot more support uh, than uh, some of us did 20 years ago. <laughs> well, again, thank you. And I want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners. Remember to stay curious and keep learning. And we will catch you next time on the Databytes podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation on the Databytes podcast, we welcome you to continue the conversation and join our global community by becoming a member at womenindata.org. All Databytes listeners receive 20% off using the promo code DATABYTES20.